minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
J.M. in the A.M. Good morning and welcome to 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org, and of course on the uh, NSN app. How you doing everybody? Welcome to a Friday morning broadcast on this Tuba of 5776. Uh, Friday, August the 19th, the 15th of Menachem Av. In fact, it is Tuba Av, as um, we've been mentioning during the week with Ray Goldwasser. Today is a um, a uh, minor holiday on the Jewish calendar. No Tachanun is said. And um, it is a day where we concentrate on uh, on matches... In the uh, in the shidduch sense, hope everybody finds their mate and celebrate those who are in fact tying the knot, getting married, celebrating in this post tishabov period. Uh, we say mazal tov to all the chasanim and kalas out there from all of us here at JM in the AM Friday morning on this tuba av erev Shabbos parshas v'yaschanan. It's erev Shabbos nachamu. That's right, Shabbos nachamu is coming up fast approaching. Candle lighting time, 7.28 on this Erev Shabbos, 7.28, your official candle lighting time. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. From the Hadron album, you heard Nachamu. That's from the Eish Kodesh Hadron album. Safam with Nachamu, off Voices for Israel. Shlomo Katz had two Nachamus, the single, the Rabbi Ginsburg composition, and the one off Likrat Shabbat with Shlomo Katz. Lenny Solomon's Vishamru. From a Shabbat in Liverpool, you heard the Moshav band with Lachad Odi and Shalom Aleichem. And, of course, Regesh, Modaani opening things up. And we say good morning. Uh, what do we got? 76 degrees outside with 78% humidity. Winds northwest at 2 miles an hour. Mostly sunny today with a high temperature of 88. Then tonight, partly cloudy, a low of 73. Tomorrow, Nachamu weather. Mostly sunny, a high temperature 84 degrees. Yerushalayim is at 84. A lot at 96. Up in Guilford, New York, our friends at Camp Masora are getting ready for a Shabbos Nachamu with 62 degrees, going to 80 later on. We're at 76 here in Jersey City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. 26 minutes before 7 o'clock on this Friday, Erev Shabbos. I thank you for tuning in. We've got um, Malcolm Holmline in the weekly update one hour from now. Make sure to be listening in from anywhere around the world on the NSN app and through whatever method you use to listen. Uh, Rabbi Yudin, of course, coming up at 8.15. Wrap up the week uh, for JM and the AM at 9 o'clock. And um, Rabbi Stobbs is going to be joining us in the 7 o'clock hour from Israel on this Tuba Av. A good day to talk about uh, some of the recent innovations regarding uh, marriage and the marriage ceremony. We'll talk about that coming up in hour number two this morning here at JM and the AM. Friday morning, it's Tuba Av and Lenny and Schlockrock are next at JM and the AM.
I'd like to sing one more little bit sad song, a little bit happy, both. The Kovitz is Shabbos. Give me how many, friends, give me how many, hold on to last note. Can you imagine? Can you visualize? Can you think about? About 2,400 years ago, somewhere on a street corner, in the holy city, Yerushalayim. And maybe, 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 it was on Matzohe Shabbos. You know, sweetest friends, let me tell you, according to our tradition, everybody knows that they have Torah, the portion of the prophet we read, after a certain portion of the Torah, that means that the prophet prophesied this on that Motsoi Shabbos, of the portion of that we hear. We start getting involved in the depths of it right now. The Shabbos was Hanan 2,400 to 500 years ago, Yishaya Novi listened to the Pasha was Hanan and he came down to the streets and he prophesied and he said Nachamu, Nachamu Ami Oh, no. 
immer sweet friends. Says Nachmu Nachmu Ami. Console my people. Don't ever stop consoling them. And then it says, Dabru Alev Yerushalayim. Speak into the heart of Yerushalayim, Ekirelel. And call unto her. You know, sweetest friends, sometimes a person is so desperate for consolation. Sometimes a person is so desperate for one good word that when you want to give it to them, they run away. Can you imagine Mashiach walking right now? Most of us would just run through the window. Couldn't believe it. I want it so much, I can't believe it. Can't believe it. So he says, Dabu, Alev Yerushalayim. When she runs away, don't stop. Run after her. Keep on crying loud. It's true, it's true. Yeah, I know it's so true. Sometimes you want to talk to your children, they're crying. They run away. Because they're waiting for Mashiach so desperately. Give me how many one more time. Yerushalayim, 
צריך לנחם, האם לא אותי צריכים לנחם? מי שנשרף ביתו, מי שנשמעו בניו, את מי צריך לנחם? נחמוני, נחמוני עמי. Yo 
Lots of great <coughs> Nachamu selections here on a Friday morning Arab Shabbos Nachamu at JM in the AM. Aspaklario with Nachamu. You heard Pizmon and Nachamu off of Bojack, the best of Jewish a cappella. Shamayim had Nachamu. Aaron Razel had Nachamu. Schlockrock with Tubaav. Oh, and Shlomo Kalbach was in there, of course, with that Nachamu selection that is one of the best known. How that didn't make it into our playlist, I'm not quite sure, but we'll have to fix that. Erev Shabbos Parshas Ve'eschan on its Erev Shabbos Nachamu here at JM and And today is Tu Ba'av. Candle lighting at 728 on this Erev Shabbos, 728. And this is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheaim.org. NSN app gives you the opportunity to comment on anything going on during our show and also gives you the chance to listen in from anywhere around the world. Speaking of the NSN app, we're asked to uh, wish a refuah shlema and daven. Shlomo Zalman ben Rifka. Shlomo Zalman ben Rifka. Please keep in mind for a refuah shlema for a speedy recovery. And we thank you for that. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday. Arab Shabbos Nachamu is next. We say Boker Tov from Jamnia. Galitzal Hashashtayim, Kanoga Klein, im Mashukorachshav. Bistrasburg, Tsarfat, Yehudini Dkar, Lidei Muslimi, Vahadokir Nezar, Katavtenu Shiranaot. מצבו של הפצוע קל עד בינוני והוא נדקר ככל הנראה על רקע אנטישמי. הדוקר מוסלמי נעצר על ידי המשטרה המקומית. צרפת נמצאת בכוננות טרור מוגברת מאז המתקפה על פריז בחודש נובמבר, בה נרצחו 128 בני אדם, ובעקבות רציחתו של קובר נוצרי בנורמנדי לפני כחודש. בעקבות פרסום תמונת הילד הסורי שזעזעה את העולם, רוסיה מכחישה מעורבות בתקיפה שהביאה לפציעתו. כתבנו נתנאל דרשן. משרד ההגנה הרוסי הודיע כי רוסיה אינה מעורבת בתקיפה על העיר חלב שבה נפצע הפעוט בן החמש ורמז כי האחריות לפציעתו מוטלת על כוחות המורדים. בתמונה שפורסמה ברחבי העולם נראה הילד יושב באמבולנס כשדם זולג מפניו והוא המום מהמתרחש. לאחר שהושפז לזמן קצר שוחרר הילד חזרה לביתו בסוריה מוכת המלחמה. שלושה ימים לאחר ששוחרר מהכלא, נעצר מחבל ממזרח ירושלים בחשד להסתה ותמיכה בארגון טרור. כתבנו אריאל זיגלר. סופיאן עבדו, תושב ג'בל מוקאבו במזרח ירושלים, היה כלוא 14 שנים בכלא הישראלי לאחר שניסה להרעיל סועדים בבית קפה במהלך האינתיפאדה השנייה. 
מוקדם יותר השבוע הוא שוחרר לאחר שסיים לרצות את עונשו, ולאחר שבמסיבת השחרור שנערכה לו בשכונה הונפו דגלי חמאס ונקראו קריאות הסתה, הוא נעצר. בית המשפט האריך את מעצרו עד ליום שני. שמונה תושבים בדואים בנגב נעצרו בחשד שהיו מעורבים בירי בנשק חם, השלכת אבנים והתפרעויות אלימות על מנת לשבש את שגרת החיים ביישובים סמוכים. מדווח כתבנו רמי שני. מעצר השמונה הלילה נעשה לאחר חקירה סמויה ואיסוף עדויות נגד החשודים בעקבות שורת מקרי התנכרות לאנשים וציוד באזור הסמוך לביר הדאג'. בין אלו פגיעה במכוניות, גניבה מיחידות צבאיות והרס תשתיות בשטחים חקלאיים. המשטרה תבקש בהמשך מבית משפט השלום בבאר שבע להאריך את מעצרם עד לתום ההליכים המשפטיים כלפיהם. שני צעירים בשנות ה-20 לחייהם נפצעו קשה ובינוני בהתהפכות רכב באגי באזור חולות חלוצה שבנגב. צוותים של מגן דוד אדום פינו אותם לבית החולים סורוקה בבאר שבע. תת-ניצב יעל אידלמן, יועצת המפכ"ל לענייני נשים, אומרת לגלי צה"ל כי טרם הושלם תהליך הבנייה מחדש של אמון הציבור במשטרה, שנפגע בעקבות חשיפת פרשיות של הטרדות מיניות מצד קצינים בכירים. המשטרה מתאוששת, אני חושבת שהציבור עוד לא שכח לנו. עברנו תקופה לא קלה, כל הקריקטורות. הזיכרון הציבורי לא, לא שכח לנו את זה, אבל זה, אני מניחה שזה עניין של זמן, ובסוף בסוף התהליך יבנה את עצמו, ככל שנתרחק וככל שלא יהיו יותר פרשיות עסיסיות כאלו או אחרות, אז כולנו נלמד שנעשה שינוי. את הדברים אמרה תת-ניצב אידלמן לטלי ליפקין שחק במסגרת התוכנית פגישה אישית, פ"א, שתשודר מחר, מוצאי שבת בשעה שמונה בערב בגל"צ. תחזית מזג האוויר היום תחול עלייה קלה בטמפרטורות, בשבת התחממות נוספת. לעדכונים נוספים חפשו גל"צ בטוויטר, אלה החדשות שערכה אביגיל אושי ביטנר, בצוות רון להב יוד ויואב כהן. That shriek your weary face Your wounded soul will be consoled By the wonders of this place Laugh away the fears There's no need to be afraid This storm will pass See sunlight splash On these stones and on your face After these long days of sorrow After these long nights And there'll come a time to leave the sadness behind We'll rejoice again after this black night passes A new light will dawn and you'll see Look how we shine, follow the signs Nachamu Ahami Nachamu Ahami
J.M. in the A.M. Good morning, everybody. It's a Friday morning broadcast on this Erev Shabbos Parshas via Shanon, Erev Shabbos Nachamu, and candlelighting time 728 on this Erev Shabbos. 728 is your candlelighting time. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Today is Tuba'av, and Tuba'av is, of course, a day that we've uh, been speaking about regarding uh, Shiduchim, regarding... Uh, Matchmaking, marriages, simcha. We wish all the chasanim and kalas out there a very special mazel tov. Those who are getting married, whether it be this weekend or any time in the near future, on this uh, tuba av, we say mazal tov. Uh, Harav David Stav, who has been with us before, is chief rabbi of the city of Shoham and chairman of the Tzohar organization in Israel. He's also co-chancellor of Ortora Stone with Ariskin in Israel. And uh, today on this tuba av, we felt it was an appropriate day to speak about uh, the latest news uh, regarding um, halachic prenuptial agreements, etc. Harav David Stav from Israel, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning to you and to all the people that listen to Thank you so much, and a tuba av sameach to you, Rabbi Stav. Yeah, it is. Yesterday we had uh, more than 40 weddings that were officiated by our rabbi all over the country. And... uh, we wish all the young couples to have a wonderful time together and to build a bite in a man Israel forever. One of the things I saw you said, though, was that um, people who we wish, of course, the very best, and they should build a bite in a man Israel, uh, but they also have to be realistic and know what the future could bring. And is that is that the number one reason behind the halachic prenuptial agreement? Yes. And furthermore than that, we, according to our researchers, we found out that thousands of couples in Israel live together and are afraid to get married officially because they are afraid of the process that uh, they will have to go through in case they will fall into the statistics of 30-40% of the couples that get divorced. And they are afraid to go to this process that could be very, very torturing, at least to one of the spouses. So in order to encourage them, that uh, to tell them that we, the Tsar Rabbinic Organization, will be with them by the good and by the bad, and we'll be with them to help them to go through that process in a way that uh, will cause the minimum of pain, any, some kind of pain will be anyway, the minimum uh, price that they have to pay, not to lawyers and not to others, that in order to postpone and to delay the decision that was taken by one of the spouses. So we established for them a prenuptial agreement that will actually lead the couple, once they decided, after marriage consultants and after other uh, measures that they've gone through, and they've decided that at least one of them decided that he doesn't want to continue, that uh, will help them to um, pass through that uh, obstacle of uh, getting divorced in a proper way, as easy as possible, relatively easy, in that uh, situation. And that's why uh, Sohar calls it a heskem ahava, an agreement from love. That's where it's coming from when this uh, pre-marriage agreement 
is um, is in fact agreed to. Uh, Rabbi, Harav David Stav is with us uh, from Israel on this Tuba of morning. Is there any difference in the agreement than the original ones? Because I mean, I know that people uh, certainly in uh, in many communities already, uh, both in Israel and outside of Israel, many in the United States are using uh, premarital agreements. Um, is there any difference today? In the language or or the or its form compared to when it started? Yeah, well, look. First of all, there is a difference between the prenuptial agreement in Israel and the prenuptial agreement in the state. In, in the state, it's usually done in order to bring the couple after they already got divorced in the civil marriage to bring them to the rabbinic authority so that the woman will not uh, will not be left alone right. when she got divorced civilly and she did not get divorced halachically. In Israel, it's a bit different because everybody that gets married in Israel has to get married illogically. But the problem is that in many cases, the husband used the, um, the power that Allah gives him in order to postpone and to delay and to um, actually to demand from his wife uh, the financial demands that actually could leave her alone and the rabbinic court is left without any authority to do anything to the husband. So this prenup agreement it's done in order to to make the husband understand, in, your, in most of the cases, to make the husband understand that if he will not give the gift, he will have to pay a certain amount of money that it will not pay to him to do that. It has gone through tens of versions with the rabbis, with judges, with, with lawyers, with the family the judges and rabbinic judges in order to make it the best way possible, halakhically and practically, and Baruch Hashem, We've signed already just in the last couple of months more than 700 couples. And Bezrat Hashem, we believe that uh, um, it was spread out. And we hope to a situation that uh, within a couple of years, every couple, religious, at least modern Orthodox religious, and secular traditional Jews will sign this prenup agreement before he gets married. By the way, many of the Americans that made Aliyah demand and help us a lot to... Uh, to bring and to, uh, to, to explain to the Israelis that were not used to it the importance of that. And the American uh, immigrants help us a lot in uh, explaining and sharing this idea of prenuptial agreement to the Israeli society that was not used to it. Harav David Stav is with us at Sohar Organization, has been at the forefront of this in Israel. Um, what about the, uh, you mentioned the, the communities that are, that are accepting and that have uh, been implementing and have been influenced to, you know, to include uh, the prenup that you described. Uh, is it a lot more than it was in Israel? Because we, we're always hearing about the, the disagreements about the agreement, the the you know communities that are are not ready to accept such a thing. Are are there changes being made? Are you making progress in areas like that? Look, those who are not who are against this agreement, uh, this this group exists in the, in North America as it exists in Israel. The actually the, our campaign is is basically focused to the traditional and secular society in order to um, persuade them to sign this enough agreement because we know that the alternative is not to get married at all. So we are not debating with the right wing of the uh, ultra-orthodox rabbis because their concern is mainly focused in their uh, crowds, in their communities, and I guess that most of their uh, congregants are anyway not interested in signing this prenup agreement. 
I believe that more and more couples that will sign, it will lead for a social change that will influence the entire society. I could tell you that one of the right-wing yeshivot boys that got married to an American girl and uh, that made Aliyah, and their parents insisted. And they said there's no wedding without prenup agreement. And they went to the Rosh Hashiva that is considered to be one of the very right-wing Rosh Hashivas. And he said to them, okay, that is the man. Please go and sign the prenup agreement of Tsar, which is the best that exists today. So, um, so it, it comes, you know, you could make changes from uh, up to bottom, and you can make changes from bottom up. And they think that this change will come from bottom up. From bottom up. As, more, as long as we'll see more and more couples that will sign this prenup agreement, eventually most of the rabbis will adopt it and will actually understand that it's important for their congregants and not less than it's important for the secular people. And this change, as you indicated earlier, you believe is going to increase in terms of the number of people getting married and, uh, and, real, and having a, a, a more of a halachic life, so to speak. Exactly, exactly. We see it, and uh, the number of the, of the couples that are getting married in Israel, unfortunately, is not increasing. It's the last numbers that uh, were publicized a few days ago show that actually the number is stable and actually a bit less than in previous years. And if you compare it to the growth of the society, you understand that practically the percentage of people that are getting married logically is not is reducing, it's not increasing. We believe that uh, the prenup agreement uh, might uh, up this phenomena and turn the, the trend and to shift it to a different direction and to increase the number of couples that will get married a lot. Tsar has been around for 20 years, performed over 50,000 weddings, and in September next month, they'll be the organization's busiest uh, scheduled. 600 weddings are scheduled to be performed uh, next month by Tsohar rabbis. Information about all of this, you can go to tsohar.org, T-Z-O-H-A-R.org, T-Z-O-H-A-R.org, the Heskem Ahava has its own page there, which you will see. Harav Stav, Tadarabach, Atubaav Sameach, and continue your amazing work on behalf of the Jewish people. Thank you. Shabbat Shalom. Koltu. Shabbat Shalom. Enjoy Shabbat Nachamu in Aretz. Friday morning broadcast on this Arab Shabbos Nachamu. Uh, it is Tubaav morning with candle lighting at 728. Weekly update and plenty more coming up. Keep it right here at JM in the AM. Oh, my God. 
Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Nachamu. It's a little Zemmer Choir with that selection of Nachamu Ami. Simcha Liner before that with Shalom and with Aishas Chayel on this Tuba of Morning as we hope that everybody finds their Aishas Chayel and their proper mate on this Tuba of. Benny Freeman's Hine Hine off of the uh, Sheer Double Album. David Lowy, Tamim Sheyeto, that's brand new from Inspire. And you heard Shlomo Katz in there with the Krat Shabbat. Friday morning on this Tuba Av, Erev Shabbos Parshas V'Eschanan. 
Erev Shabbos Nachamu with candle lighting at 728 on this Erev Shabbos. 728, many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 76 degrees, mostly sunny, a high temperature of 88. want to thank our friends at jewishworldview.com. want to check out and uh, print out thousands of articles before Shabbos about the different issues going on surrounding Israel, the Jewish world, etc., and the election campaign of 2016. Check out jewishworldview.com. Our big thanks to onlysimchas.com as they continue to utilize our content for some of their incredible stories along their uh, news feed. You can check out onlysimchas.com and see how they are covering heartwarming and otherwise interesting stories from around the Jewish world. If you go to OnlySimchas.com. I want to wish a happy birthday to Gail Weintraub. That's right. The uh, world's number one mother-in-law is getting set to celebrate a birthday. So to a Mrs. Weintraub, we say Mazal Tov and happy birthday from all of us here at JM in the AM. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update Friday mornings here at JM in the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM, and a happy Erev Shabbos Nachamu to you. Uh, to you, too. Happy to Ba'av. Yeah, oh, boy. <laughs> we got holidays coming all over the place here. Uh, you know, it's funny, um, the, uh, and, and there's been a lot of you know good lines and, and jokes about it, but again, we see how the uh, Olympic Forum uh, can play a part on the international political scene. I have to, I have to just note, because uh, like I say, there's some good lines coming out. Uh, someone posted the following, lost in all the hoopla over Ori Sassoon's defeating the Egyptian in the handshake that wasn't. Sassoon set the record for the quickest beatdown of an Egyptian, shattering the previous record time of six days. And I thought that, that, that was a pretty that was a pretty yeah, good line. Very clever. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, important, I guess, to um, remind everybody as this international sports contest uh, continues, that um, uh, never is an opportunity lost to turn into a political situation, and usually, or very often, Israel is, of course, the victim of such. Uh, yet another reminder that no matter what arena people are in, um, there's always a role to play in terms of defending Israel and being there to tell the truth, right? Uh, absolutely, and uh, there are a lot of things of significance in this. One, that it reflects again that while we may have a piece of government, we, we still don't have a piece of the people. And it wasn't an isolated incident. Remember, the Lebanese delegation wouldn't let the Israelis on the bus. They asked them not to come on. They wouldn't get on an elevator. Another incident occurred uh, with uh, Israelis were in it. And um, it shows how much work has yet to be done. But I think that the reaction in the Arab world was uh, better than what, people anticipated and the fact that the crowd booed the egyptian for his unsportsmanlike whether it's because of, you know they were supportive of israel or not right. is hard to tell but they certainly were condemnatory of the unsportsmanlike and and uh, behavior and he had to come back on the uh, back to the center stage and and, and bow uh, to his uh, opponent which is the minimum you're supposed to shake hands or at least bow and he did do that uh, but obviously would not shake hands under any circumstances with the, his Israeli opponent. But at the same time, we've seen in, in Saudi newspapers, for instance, a series of articles saying that it's time to end the anti-Israel and, and anti-Semitic attacks. And it wasn't just one or two articles. And, of course, those things don't just happen. Uh, so that that was... Uh, uh, you, you see very contradictory 
trends. Yeah. But it takes a long time, and that's why we talk about incitement and we talk about these things because you see how it poisons the people, and you can have all the positive gestures on the national level if you don't reach the people with the message. And President Sisi has made some very positive comments as well, but it'll take a long time till we see those 90% hostile figures dropping to 80 to 70. And what happens to the, uh, and this is not in any way to uh, you know give a pass to this athlete, who I'm sure in some ways was you know had in the back of his mind what the reaction would be back home, so to speak, uh, but what about the journalists who write those articles that you just cited, and those leaders who come out and ask for a, uh, you know, for cooperation and ending the anti-Semitic acts, etc.? I mean, are they putting their lives on the line in those situations? It has happened in the past. They get threats. Uh, people visited Israel from Jordan, from Egypt, uh, professionals to attend the uh, association meetings, whatever. Uh, often encountered uh, hostile reactions on their return being uh, kicked out of unions or associations, professional associations. Uh, so there is a risk, obviously, uh, involved. I think you're right that maybe if the Egyptian had won, his reaction might have been somewhat different, but mm. the humiliation of losing to an Israeli and then having to shake hands with him probably was too much. Yeah, 100%. Um, also, speaking of... Uh uh, of things we could learn from from history and from encounters. So it's 25 years since Crown Heights, and some people in the audience, I mean, obviously some are too young to remember, and those who are young, we encourage you to read up on things that happen, even in quote-unquote modern Jewish history. <laughs> it's hard to believe that some of the things we live through are actually considered history at this point. Uh, do, you, do you think that it, things would have been worse or or would not have recuperated to the point that they did if New York would not have gone through the big transformation, the big anti-crime transformation uh, of the 90s that it did? I mean, could that Crown Heights situation, the riots of 25 years ago, really have led to uh, essentially the destruction of one of the most prominent Jewish communities? Well, I was in intimately involved at the time, and... Um the seething hostility was very clear, but remember, there were many outsiders who were really provoking the local residents, yeah. and that many of those uh, who, whether leaders or followers, who came from the outside had nothing at stake. The people themselves recognized it, and there were still scenes. You saw that blacks were in Hasidic-owned stores, Hasidim were in black-owned stores, even during the rioting, even during a lot of the demonstrations. So we always have to see who's behind it, who, what are the factors. Uh, clearly, there is today a lot of tension. You see how incidents are uh, explosive, but often there are outside manipulators and people with other agendas. One of those that, that have taken advantage of incidents that occurred, whether in Ferguson or other places, was the, 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 um, those for Justice for Palestine or other groups of that kind, uh, who interlope themselves in what's called sectionality today. There's a new term for where you combine causes, and so Black Lives Matter put in a clause, uh, clause about Israel that should be condemned and has to be criticized, uh, and they accuse Israel of genocide and all sorts of things, which has absolutely nothing to do with what they were supposed to be advocating. And uh, But we see it all over where they successfully try to hijack other causes for their own purposes. And, uh, you know, that we should look at who this really, when you see things, who it's really an expression of. So if things are peaceful today, 
it's not just the the anti-crime push and success of the 90s. It's, I guess, also the efforts of community leaders on both sides. And Absolutely. The, and the fact that, as you just said, there's been a recognition of those who try to take advantage and a rejection of those same leaders, so to speak, by you know, at the appropriate time. And there were a lot of failures at the time of, of citywide leadership of others um, to, to react right away, to get the seriousness of it. Uh, which is not unusual. They often, you know, people don't expect situations that uh, it's like a you know fire that starts and then it flares up suddenly. Uh, that people there are tensions in society. There always are, but when they reach a certain point and when people exploit them for political purpose for other purposes, then that becomes that's a formula for disaster. And I think that the community leaders deserve a lot of credit for for what they've done and. You see that today Crown Heights is a bustling community. It's gentrified all around Crown Heights. There are adjacent communities already, uh, Jewish communities that are really quite remarkable. Yeah, it is pretty interesting to watch. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie signed the bill prohibiting the state's pension and annuity funds from investing in companies that boycott Israel or Israeli businesses. The measure, signed Tuesday, was passed in the state's General Assembly in June by a vote of 69 to 3, with two abstentions that passed the state Senate unanimously in May. The state's pension fund controls more than $80 billion in assets, according to the AP, and provides coverage for about 800,000 current and retired public employees. Israel and New Jersey annually trade more than $1.3 billion in goods, according to the legislation. Is anybody keeping a scorecard now of state legislatures that have... uh, gone ahead and implemented similar moves regarding anti-BDS? Well, we have about a dozen, uh, 10 to a dozen right now, but we have a f- quite a few that are in the process. And uh, everybody will remember Governor Cuomo signed a very strong uh, executive order, not even waiting for the legislature, but setting the pace. And that had, I think, a profound impact around the country. The uh, We are seeing more and more efforts of this kind to uh, denounce the, the BDS movement, the boycott, divestment, and sanctions. Uh, I think that we have to, and we are trying to reorient the focus. Uh, BDS is a tool. BDS is not the problem. It's mm-hmm. not the, the core. It is one of the tools they use to try and delegitimize Israel. And at its uh, the underlying premises, of course, is anti-Semitism, which says Jews don't have the rights the other, of others, they don't have a right to a state, and the Jewish state doesn't have the rights of other states. They call not for some sort of an adjustment, they're not calling for you know, two-state solutions or, or one-state solutions or anything of that kind. They're calling for the elimination of the state. When you ask the BDSers what, what boundaries would you accept, would you accept the 48 or 67, do you want to give up the territories? They won't answer because that's not what they're interested in. They won't commit to anything that defines a Jewish state. So we have to be very clear, and and I appreciate all of these efforts, and we have encouraged it, and we work with them to try and make sure that the language is, is as strong as possible. Uh, uh, but in many respects, it's it's symbolic. The fact that they don't have access to tens of billions of dollars of potential investment is certainly a disincentive for companies, but... Uh, more importantly, is the spotlight of public opinion that should be shown on the on those who engage with companies or entities that uh, practice BDS or encourage it or speak up for it. And what about the public opinion end on on you know those who sit and watch these state legislatures take on these types 
of causes. Is there any reason to suspect that, uh, you know, in general, Americans are or are, are for or against this practice? Americans care about fair play, and they, they do not like uh, these kind of boycotts and uh, discriminatory measures. Um, I know that Governor Cuomo got some critical comments, and because he, he in fact, added another uh, uh, a strengthening comment to the um, about advocacy for BDS in, in his uh, executive order, um, that there was some opposition or people criticized it, and I think Civil Liberty Union or others are still threatening to sue, but the uh, but overall the reaction and you had there in the room when he made the announcement, aside from Jewish leadership, you had their leaders of of many communities, blacks, Hispanics, and others who were there, and uh, and the city council, I know others, other bodies uh, across the country have adopted resolutions, even though they don't have the power that uh, a state legislature may have in terms of pension funds, et cetera. Right. Uh, it's still a reflection of the of the sentiment, and and by and large, the American people support Israel. They care about Israel. They want to see Israel thrive. Israel just got an A plus rating by S and T again, which was uh, you know, and saying that that in a region of total instability, there they have a greater revenue from taxes than they expected. They have better balance of payments, etc. So, the the BDS movement is not hurting Israel economically. It, it is nasty, and it's uh, it's a, but it's a propaganda vehicle for those who want to eliminate the Jewish state. Oh, by the way, on the uh, on the history angle that I brought up earlier, and being familiar or being reacquainted with some of the things that have happened in modern Jewish history, did you notice uh, a few days ago there was a report uh, with more with, with what seemed to be more definitive information about the uh, uh, about the end of Raoul Wallenberg and how uh, his life came to an end in Russia. Yes, it was a uh, it was a diary that was found inside uh, a wall that had been hidden behind a wall uh, from the first founder of of the KGB as we know it, and uh, when he when he died, they didn't find it. It was only found by I think a grandson uh, recently, and in the document in the thing which has been published, he talks about the death of Wallenberg at. at uh, the best of of Stalin that he gave Stalin gave the order in 1947 right. to um, for his execution. So it seems, and I would say that this is a fairly credible report. It substantiates what has been heard before. Although right. there were uh, some alleged sightings after 1947, 1949. Uh, others believe it, it he was uh, killed, but. Uh, there's been a cover-up for many years, and I think that the Russians now should come forward, give the final documentation, at least put the matter to rest, let the family, the surviving members of his family, know what happened. Uh, it's a tragedy. It's inexplicable. They picked him up off the streets of, of Budapest, and he was never seen again. And for those who are in their teens or 20s or even older who are not familiar with his life, uh, let us take the responsibility to uh, teach the younger people about people like Raoul Wallenberg, obviously uh, heroes uh, for our people, certainly during World War II. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org, and of course, on the NSN app. You heard this story? Did you read the article about the uh, the baby from Afghanistan that was uh, operated on in the Cholon Medical Center 
in Tel Aviv with a life-saving heart operation? <laughs> I, I, say, I, I say it because you've emphasized how people from around, you know, from countries you would never suspect end up utilizing the incredible abilities of Israeli doctors. And here's another case. And there, it is a, a remarkable story in and of itself, but it's reflective of an amazing effort in this week in particular um, I can't go into all the details but efforts to that brought a very significant number of victims of the fighting in Syria across the border into Israel to be treated and they're taken back and as you know it's not something that sits well with many others and they fear for their lives but mothers brought their children and grandmothers brought you know, children and, and others who were who were hurt, uh, and Israelis risked their lives to escort them and, and facilitate bringing them in to to be treated. And yet the world doesn't acknowledge it. And you're not talking about small numbers. There have been thousands well, yeah, who have been treated like this. And, and Israel picks up the tab for all of this. Nobody's paying for it. You know, just as We've said this before, but you know the, you see all the criticism from the PA, but they don't tell you that Abbas's brother, who recently died, that was treated for cancer in Israeli hospital, came there from uh, Qatar, where he, he lives, or Kuwait. Hania's um, family members, many members of the Abbas family, uh, and others, leaders of Hamas and their own families, and Israel treats them. And yet they're the ones who are condemned by the World Health Organization, Israel and Israel alone condemned. And the the bias in which we are fighting it at the United Nations, and I think it's getting some some more traction. There was even reports this week that the Arab states would not uh, pursue action against Israel this year or at the International Atomic Energy Agency. Unfortunately, it was leaked to the press, which may force their hand again. But um, the very fact that you had less and and more uh, less criticism and more recognition of the bias. And, and we are hearing it. This the effort that we launched a couple months ago has gained real traction both here in the United States, but also internationally. And people who want to sign the declaration can go to the Conference of Presidents dot org website and sign on as well. Uh, I know that just going back for a moment, I, I know that you're purposely being vague, but uh, uh, when you say a significant number this week, a significant number could mean hundreds. It's a it's a significant number. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Israeli hospitals treating those who are victims in the Syrian battle situation. Let's put it that way. That, that's right. Um, this video of the uh, home of the uh, terrorist who killed um, Halel, uh, the twelve year old girl, being demolished. The the home being demolished. These. I mean, first of all, it's a really powerful video, if you ask me. And I don't know how often. They're actually released to the public. I think it's a great idea uh, for the enemy to see, or the potential enemy to see what could happen. Uh, do we do we know if if in fact the you know though first of all, I can't believe that these videos are released and there's not, and there is not more opposition or world outrage about it. That's number one. Or maybe you'll correct me and tell me I'm wrong that there really is that I'm just not noticing. And secondly, do we know what kind of deterrent this is? Is it, is it as effective as I think it is in terms of it being a deterrent for future terror attacks? It is a proven deterrent. It does evoke uh, criticism internationally. In this case, you know, there was a, a brutal murder, and 
maybe it was a little bit more muted, or maybe people <coughs> sorry, are getting used to it. But uh, it is a meaningful deterrent. The problem is that the PA, as we have learned in recent months and weeks, uh, allocates this year, uh, I think they allocated $172 million, and last year $140 million to pay both to rehab houses or to provide alternative houses, just as they pay pensions to those who kill. And the more they kill, the more they get, up to 3000 or $3,100 a month. The uh, numbers who are receiving this, this kind of assistance increases all the time, and it's another reflection of the corruption and the misuse of funds that should be used for the people, as we saw in Gaza, and, and more and more facts are coming out, both about World Vision, which we discussed, and the United Nations Development uh, Program, corruption where money intended to build housing etc what was was uh, for for people in Gaza was diverted to the building of tunnels and paying pensions and paying off terrorists and building a dock for for um, ter- marine terrorists to, to train off of I mean it's it's very widespread it amounts to, to huge amounts of money World Vision funneled hundreds of millions of dollars including 200 million dollars a year from the US the U.S. government, the Australian government, as you know, cut them off. The German government cut them off. But it was something, as you know, that people have warned about for a long time, think tanks and, and uh, people have studied it uh, and continued to warn about. It's a massive corruption. And there are many of the people who, for whom there could have been mansions built, in fact, don't have housing. What is also of note is you know there is an election, a municipal election that's scheduled to take place October eighth, mm-hmm. and it is really heating up. and And I'm not sure that it will actually take place. I don't think Fatah really wants it. And now they arrested one of the key Hamas operatives, or the key Hamas operative in the West Bank. And because of that, the Hamas is saying now they'll pull out because Hamas has a different standard. They don't need to win; they just need to make a strong showing in the West Bank. A free election in Gaza, I think that they would lose. But the they, they made a video, the Hamas in Gaza, about how fantastic life is there, showing gorgeous homes and parks and, you know, facilities. And, and, and the, the, the hashtag, I think, is thank you, uh, thank you, Hamas. So somebody made a film, uh, you know, thanks, Hamas, and, and it shows all the terrible places in, uh, in yes. Gaza. But the, the fact is that you have malls, and stores overflowing with goods. It's not the story people tell about the Gaza for Hamas and the Gaza for the rich and, and the powerful, as opposed to the Gaza for those who, who are the victims of their own governments. So this election is going to highlight much, and, and it's a competition also for succession to Abbas. And, as you know, there are various candidates. So I'm not sure that Abbas is actually going to let an election take place. I think that you're going to see... Uh, more charges and counter charges about the reality. There's a lot of unrest, uh, especially about the economy and about the kleptocracy that um, Abbas runs uh, and how hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars, have been uh, have been wasted and diverted and, and misused. If Hamas was not involved in the election, would Fatah be more inclined to actually hold it? And be yes. more, they'd be more enthusiastic about it? They'd be much more likely to hold it because they, um, uh, you know, his fears obviously is losing, and losing means that you can lose a dozen municipalities. There are 400 plus, only 35 of them are in Gaza, 
and the, the, you know losing major cities or will certainly undermine their status in that before uh, a presidential election or could put more pressure on them to um, to hold a, a, a presidential election. All these elections are long overdue. This one is six years overdue. And as I said, I think the speculation is that they'll find a reason why it can't be held now. So if Hamas stays in, they did not anticipate that Hamas would be running. They thought that, like in the last one, they would boycott it and say it's unfair. And Hamas already issued statements saying that, you know, it's been rigged and the, the arrests by Israel and by others of Hamas operatives uh, was part of an effort to counter the um, th- their election prospects. Well, they could ruin this election for Fatah like a good third-party candidate could, my gosh. Mm, uh, they, they could. It's a, good, it's a good comparison. And then you see how others are learning. You saw that ISIS has picked up from the Palestinians the theme of kill a Jew and become a hero. They now have a poem called Kill Westerner, very much styled on the Palestinian uh, model. And um, and the use of incitement, uh, this time not targeting Jews per se, but about killing Westerners and, and calling on people, you know, wherever they live to do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, this Susia case uh, with the um, potential demolition of, uh, you know, areas of, uh, I guess, what we would call Arab Susia at this point, the South Hebron Hills. Uh, th- does this situation basically uh, show us the influence of the EU and the NGOs in Israel, because without their backing, without their influence, without their lobbying, so to speak, this probably would have been resolved long ago? Well, they have been, and it should be resolved. People don't know the facts about the conditions there. They just see the condemnations, including from our own government, about the destruction of these houses, which were built illegally, which has gone through the Supreme Court more than once. It's been challenged. And the ruling was that this is and these are, are illegal houses, uh, and uh, in any country, people demolish it and, and take down houses that are built against the, the zoning rules or the construction rules, uh, and and that is the simple case here. This is in the history of Susia is very interesting. I think people should read about it. It's an ancient community. There's a very interesting archaeological digs there. Um, um, but, you know, people should look at the facts. People jump to conclusions right away about some of the controversies, and they say, well, why doesn't Israel just resolve one? Because you can't, you have to have some rules. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. If the, Because of the EU and all these NGOs and their, and their participation in all this, Israeli officials who should be making these decisions earlier rather than later, you know, delay their decisions and are hesitant to, to, to lay down the laws you just described. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you should also know what, what uh, Lieberman did this week. He, in, he, he announced a new policy uh, towards Palestinians living in Yudon Shamron and, uh, and said that it's a sort of carrot and stick model. He offered economic benefits to the families and the communities that have not produced terrorists and punishment, harsher punishment for those areas where terrorists seem to breed. And uh, it, it, it really is to to reward those who are prepared for coexistence. I think he, it was the term he used. And places like Beit Sahur, where they're going to build a hospital, and in western uh, Nablus, uh, an industrial zone, and I think a couple places, a soccer field, and other infrastructure, and Kalkilia, and uh, Isbat Tabib, uh, and an economic corridor from uh, Yericho to, to Jordan. 
and um, and and they're holding talks with uh, Palestinian figures without the approval of the Palestinian Authority, which usually controls any exchanges or conversations with Israeli officials. So I think this is a, a, a interesting experiment, and we'll have to see whether whether it actually works or not. Hmm. But you also saw the arrest in the West Bank of Hezbollah cells, um, at least two or three of them, uh, and it's an effort by Hezbollah to infiltrate and to recruit people from the West Bank to both fight for them and to be terrorists to work from within. And uh, the breaking these groups was very important. Another week having gone by, does the $400 million Iran uh, a cash on the plane case look more like a ransom situation for three American hostages or not? Well, I guess everybody defines it somewhat differently, but it certainly appears that uh, and, and the fact now that we learned that the money was held up until the hostages were actually in the air and then was turned over, the, the, the money was owed before, but the timing would make it look like, and, and the Amer- uh, State Department yes, they acknowledged that what they called leverage. Other people will say it was ransom, but right. they said that it was the leveraging the repayment of the money that was due Iran. And the question is how many codicils, how many things we will find out were agreed to. There is now a charge that I saw, and I, I don't know yet whether this is correct, but that they're removing the uh, human rights rapporteur from uh, on Iran, uh, the UN representative who had been very tough on Iran, and uh, some say that the United States is backing the removal of this person, whether this was part of the another one of the agreements or understandings, but the very fact that people are suspect of everything indicates, I think, something about the mistrust uh, of the deal in that that is why this issue of the repayment, which is a lot of money, $1.7 billion all told, it's now all been paid, paying it in cash, in euros, and in, in Swiss francs, and in, and in dollars, I guess. Uh, and, the, and the indication is that the plane, the Iran airplane, was uh, IRGC, the Iran Revolutionary Guard, and the money then fell into their hands on arrival. And this is obviously uh, for terrorists having this kind of cash, and hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, you know, that doesn't go through banks and is not traceable once you have it. So that's another uh, concern that has risen during the week about the 400 million. The um, as the election heats up here in the U.S., and I know that you have a certain attitude you've described to us about your view of this election and the time we should or shouldn't spend on it. But we'll, we'll con- we will continue to hear more and more about advisors and the people who are you know, being hired as staff members. And, you know, some of their statements of the past, uh, it seems every time, I shouldn't say every time, but it seems very often uh, something is uncovered about somebody and their attitude, uh, the things they said about the Holocaust or other things you know, regarding Israel or Jewish history. Uh, can we assume at this point this is par for the course? I'm not trying to minimize it or, or, or say that people shouldn't be vetted by the press, etc. But, but it just seems that every time there's a new hire, there's going to be you know, some type of, uh, of um, you know, theory from the past that's going to come up that will haunt these people. So it uh, again reminds us of uh, the age-old adage, you know, that wise people be careful with your words. And, um, and, you know, today anything you say at any time will now come back to haunt you because of Facebook, because of Internet, because of all the records. And I, I don't dismiss one. If people said things that were truly offensive, then it, it is of significance. If, uh, you know, uh, things were said or articles that were written that were hostile, 
that those things matter because it, and if those people are going to be in influential positions right now we don't know who's going to be in an influential position so people <clears throat> are judging uh, about those who are involved in the campaigns uh, more than those necessarily who will be involved in the administrations themselves but it is an important thing for people to know and to to get a sense of of who who is in positions of influencing the direction both of campaigns or policies proposals and then of the transition for whoever wins. And finally, uh, when when Syrian airplanes uh, bomb, you know, a Kurdish outposts, is that a is that a uh, does that increase the tension between Syria and the United States? Is it irrelevant to the U.S. Uh, you know, as we try to figure out where the U.S. falls in this whole you know Syrian situation with Russia, Iran, etc. Um, you know, does it cause more friction between the two? Well, I think this week was a very critical week in this regard, and I think people better pay attention to what we're seeing happening. The the fact is that Russia has moved into the void. Some say that the U.S. the West has created. The um, Germany came out with a very tough report against Turkey. Talked about it as a hub for Islamists in Yemen and for Muslim Brotherhood, uh, for for Hezbollah, for um, terrorists in Syria. We've seen the the um, um, the fight over Insulik Air Force Base. The reports that maybe the Russians will be allowed to fly out of there. We have 50 at least nuclear bombs there in the United States, and they are protected. They're underground in a sort of vault. But uh, there's talk about removing them. The, the situation vis-a-vis Turkey having Erdogan go to to Moscow. We see the trilateral block that some people say is being created between Russia, Turkey, and Iran. This is the really big story of the, of the week, and the, when you, you hear the reports in Turkey, for one second just about Turkey, that they, people believe that the U.S. was behind the, the coup, and in part because Gulen is here, you know, who they claim is the central figure in, in the right. opposition, but 69% of the people believe that it was the CIA, and 20% more believe it's the White House. doesn't leave much much of the population doesn't believe we were behind it and the um the uh, the um, in 2016 there was a warsaw summit and they said you know it's a little likelihood that nato will use nukes but we're keeping them the capabilities etc so the other side is looking at this and now saying well maybe there is a, a major shift taking place in the whole region where turkey which is a member of nato they won't go so far to withdraw or to jeopardize their membership there, I think. Um, but you have uh, the Russians ex- fight, uh, flying now out of Iranian Air Force bases, which is the first time, I think, since World War II that, that, was, that Iran has allowed any foreigners to fly out, and there was opposition uh, to the decision. Now that today they announced that, that, in fact, the National Security Council had authorized it. Uh, that you see the increasing infiltration of Iran in Yemen, which is heating up again. Obviously, in Syria, Iraq, the, uh, Lebanon, Bahrain, uh, they the, uh, the the Iranian-Russia relationship, which has a longer history than most people know. But you saw the delivery of the S-300, the sophisticated in the aircraft system, the Iran saying they're purchasing airplanes, 100 planes from the uh, the Russians, and the overall sale of the planes is another issue that was highlighted this week because you have now them buying planes from Boeing, from elsewhere, and, you know, the idea that these are really going to be used for, for only domestic purposes is <laughs> more planes on order than the whole air, uh, Iranian uh, fleet 
today. Wow. So these are planes that can be stripped down and used for military purposes or readjusted for military uh, uh, purposes. And the the shifts that we've seen taking place, the um, you know, 17,000 people were reported killed in the prisons in Syria over the last four years. And the terrible tales and horror tales that have come out from some of the people um, that that got out, that were able to get out. The use of incendiary bombs in, in Syria uh, and with a napalm-like um, component. Um, the, and and they're, they're all signatories to international agreement that forbids the use of these things. We are seeing an escalation and again, why I think the obsession with the campaign has obscured many of the critical issues that people really should be uh, focused on, because we, we could be seeing a very significant shift. And remember, I pointed out the picture of Aliyev, the president of Azerbaijan, together with Rouhani, together with Putin. We're driving people into the arms of Putin who do not want to be there. And he wants to reassert the FSU, the control over the near abroad and the former countries of the FSU, and, you know, that the changes that take place are not going to flip back and forth. These are changes that could be be, be, uh, significant for years to come. And so I hope people keep track of all of this as they want them to follow the elections, but there are really significant things happening. Wow. Uh, Even more so got to be very careful about who's going to be in the White House controlling all this from this end. Unbelievable. We'll inherit it. And then, of course, we have now the, the U.N. session coming up. And I don't believe, again, as I told you, that they will do anything in the anything significant, although the Palestinians are talking more and more seriously about a, a resolution on the settlement issue, which will, in right. order to try to box in the U.S., to, to use the language of the U.S. about Israel's construction policies, etc., that will make it hard for them to veto it. But again, I think the the uh, French initiative and the Palestinian initiative may be put off, and it is only after November when we are likely to see either a presidential speech about the parameters or something that could turn into a, 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 some resolution at the United Nations. But I think that the, you know these next five months, while an election takes place and while many other significant things, uh, are are going to be very important and and because you have the cloud of the elections and the controversies which take up 90% of the news we don't read about uh, uh about the the fight between Turkey and the US over the extradition of Gulen and you know the 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 backlash in Turkey against the United States the new alliances or temporary relationships that that uh, and the exacerbation of the situation in Yemen and Nobody even talks yeah, about it anymore. That's for sure. All right, we'll have a chance to explore more of this as we continue. Have a wonderful Shabbos Nachamun. We'll speak Mir Tashem next week. God willing. Uh, there he is, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Friday mornings here with us with a weekly update at JM in the AM. Uh, this time each and every Friday, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Newton, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Newton. Good morning, Nachum. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Pashas for Eschanan. According to the Chinuch, Pashas for Eschanan contains 12 mitzvos, a positive 
and for restrictions. But it doesn't only contain mitzvos. Just look at the mitzvos that it contains. There is such excitement in this parsha, the parsha following Tisha B'Av, Shabbos Nachamu, which gets its name from the Haftorah, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, to console the Jewish people. Look at the mitzvos that you have. You have the Shema contained in this week's parsha, which gives us one, the mitzvah of Achtos Hashem, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, literally the existence of God, the uniqueness of God, the Yohavta Is Hashem Elokecho, the mitzvah to love God, the mitzvah of Talmud Torah, the mitzvah of the recitation of the Shema, the mitzvah of Tefillin Shel Yad, the mitzvah of Tefillin Shel Rosh, the mitzvah of putting a mezuzah on the door, which we'll get back to later, as well as the prohibition against intermarriage. Now, in addition, before we get to the parsha, let's understand, today is a very special day in Jewish history. Today is the 15th of Av, Tuba Av, and the Mishnah tells us at the end of Tanis that there were no happier days for the Jewish nation than Yom Kippurim and Tuba Av. Yom Kippur because the Jewish people received atonement and the Jewish people uh, received the second set of luchos. What happened on the 15th of Av? So the Talmud lists several things which occurred, including this is the day that Mesei Midbar stopped dying. For 39 years, the people in the desert dug graves on the night of Tisha B'Av they lay down in the morning Moshe would say that the living arise from among the dead 15,000 died each year and the last year there were 15,000 left well what happened was they dug their graves that they had done in the past and the next morning Tisha B'Av they awoke they thought they miscalculated they did it again and again until the 15th of Av when they saw a new moon and they realized that God had spared the people there are other things listed you can find them on the bottom of Lamid Amid Bay's 30B in the Gemara Ta'anis. Um, the girls danced in terms of increasing Shiduchim. The boys would come and pick out their uh, Bashert. Um, I don't want to go into all the points. We do find as well that on Tishabav, we remember that the city of Betar fell. Hundreds of thousands of Jews were killed. And the Romans, Yemach Shemam, did not allow the Jewish people to bury their dead. On Tuba'av, two years later, they were given permission to bury their dead. And Hatov Shalom Esrichu, Hashem literally created a miracle that the um, dead did not um, listen carefully. Uh, decay and give off a foul odor and finally Vahamitiv God was good that he afforded them Kavura burial I'd like to come back to Tuba'av in a few moments and focus on one of the mitzvos that's contained in this week's parsha, which I think requires a little bit attention and that is the mitzvah of mezuzah. 
The first thing that must be said is that the Torah legislates You are to inscribe them these parashios the first parasha of Shema and V'yohavta and the second paragraph of V'hayotim Shemoa are to be placed on your homes and on their gates of your cities. Homes, my friends, doesn't mean only the front door of your home or your apartment, but rather each room which could have the uh, area of a four by four, right? Amos, which is approximately an area of six feet and a room that's used for kavod as opposed to obviously a bathroom um, requires each room requires its own mezuzah if you have questions as to where exactly to place a mezuzah or if your room requires a mezuzah please consult your local rav now in terms of the significance of mezuzah, I'd like to share with you the last Rambam in Hilchos Mezuzah. Easy to remember, chapter 6, Halacha Yud Gimel 6.13. The Rambam often ends various sections of law with a thought which is a philosophical one and very often one of Musar. Says the Rambam, A person has to be very careful regarding the mitzvah of mezuzah, because this law is for all men, women, tamid, constantly, you're obligated in the mitzvah of mezuzah, day and night, all the time. The man, and whenever, that a person will enter and leave his home and his room, if Gah he will encounter with that mezuzah, Yichud Hashem, the oneness of God, the uniqueness of God, Shmo Baruch Hu, literally the essence, the name of God, the Yiskor who remember Ahavaso, the love of Hashem. Or Mishnaso, and this will awaken him from his slumber, from his sleep, Ushkiyaso, and from his mistakes. Behevle Hasman, that which a person unfortunately is literally sunk into the vanities of the time, and rather Vieda. And he's going to remember, What is eternal, my friend? What lasts forever? Forever, Just the knowledge, namely, of the existence of God. Umiyad. When you remember this, that that's the only thing which is eternal. It literally puts the person in the right perspective. And he goes in the way of the righteous. Now, this Rambam, interestingly, sounds very familiar to that which we find in the Rambam in chapter 3 of Tshuva, Halacha 4, where the Rambam writes, Avopi, 
even though the Torah does not give us a reason why we ought to blow the shofar, the Torah just says, blow, remez yeshbo, there is a, literally, a strong message that accompanies the blowing of the shofar, klomar, what is the, to- the uh, shofar telling us? Uru Yeshenim Mishnaschem. Those who are asleep, wake up. It's a wake up call. The Nirdamim, those who are slumbering. Hokitsu Mitardamaschem. Wake up from your slumber. Chipsu Maasechem. You should investigate and go through carefully your actions. And Chizru Bitshuva. Repent. Vizichru Borachem. And remember your Creator. Interestingly, the Rambam is writing that what the shofar accomplishes, the mezuzah does as well. We don't usually look upon the mezuzah as a shofar. So the first thing is, yes, they share in that they're both to wake us up. However, one might perhaps suggest the following interesting difference. That, in reality... They are a contrast one to another. The shofar is that loud call of the shrill. And think about it. If we blew the shofar every day, would the shofar have that same effect upon us? And the answer is probably not. So the shofar proclaims loud and clear on the two days a year that we blow it. And the mezuzah proclaims in its silence, loud and clear throughout the year, the exact same message that the shofar is proclaiming. And interestingly, there is both in Hebrew and in English the expression of mayim, shketim, chodrim, amok, or as we say in English, still waters run deep, meaning that from the silence there's also often great knowledge that emanates therefrom, and that's what's happening over here. Rav Blach, Zechron of the Vracha, the tells of Rosh Yeshiva, pointed out that contrast how we celebrate our Hanukkah how the non-Jewish world celebrates its 4th of July with the fireworks. The fireworks make a big ta-da-ta-da, it's just there for a moment, and then it's gone. The Ner Hanukkah is very, very faint, but it's there, and it makes its impression for a long time. It's got to burn minimally a half an hour, and it makes a powerful impression upon our souls. I'd like to share with you a uh, two things. First of all, a interesting insight that Rav Friend, Rav Yisachar Friend, pointed out in a talk that he gave on August the sixth, two thousand and four, five seven six four which he entitled The Silent Witness. Based upon the puzzle, that we have in this week's parish, listen to the following. The mezuzah stands 
like a sentinel at the door. We pass it whenever we enter or leave the room. What are we to think as we look upon the mezuzah? What are we to contemplate when we see the letter Shin on the case and are reminded of the Holy Scrolls within? The Rambam at the end of his presentation of Laws of Mezuzahs tells us to think about the eternal nature of the Almighty. This will inspire us to awaken us from our slumber, come to the realization that nothing in this world is permanent other than the Almighty, His Torah. Why does the mezuzah remind us of these concepts? Perhaps it is because the mezuzah is a silent witness to the ebb and flow of history and human events. Think about the mezuzah of an old shul or some other venerable edifice. It has been standing there for decades, if not centuries. It has seen infants brought into the shul to be circumcised. It has seen these same people grow old, brought into the shul to be eulogized and buried. It has seen generations come and go. It has seen empires rise and fall. It has seen the birth of ideologies and their demise. In the last century alone, our hypothetical mezuzah would have seen humanism, capitalism, materialism, as existentialism, each embraced as life philosophies and then discredited. It would have seen the rise of the Soviet Union and communism and their ignominious collapse. It would have seen the creation of the Third Reich, the thousand-year Reich, its perpetration of the Holocaust against the Jewish people and its ultimate defeat and destruction. It would have seen the birth of Israel and its growth to maturity. When the railroads were introduced in the 19th century, people thought the new technology was so perfect it would never change. The railroad companies sold corporate bonds for centuries in advance. And where are they all today? On the scrap heap, along with their rusting trains. Why does the Torah consider it important that we put the mezuzah up? Because everything constantly changes. Nothing is permanent. But only the Almighty and His Torah are permanent. Finally, the Gemara in Avodah 11a tells us about Unculus, who converted, and the Roman Caesar sent uh, soldiers to bring him back. On his way out, he saw a mezuzah on a door, and he put his hand on it, which, by the way, is the origin of our custom to place our hands and kiss the mezuzah. And there's no mitzvah to kiss it, but there is that custom that some do. Now, listen carefully. He asked them, What's this? The mezuzah? And they said, They don't know. Tell us. So listen to what he said. He said, The way of the world is that a king of flesh and blood, he sits inside his palace, and his servants guard him from the outside. But us, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God, God's servants, the Jewish people, are inside our homes, and he, Mishamron, Mibachutz, he guards us from the outside. That's why the name Shakai, Shindalad Yud, found on the mezuzah, is understood by many to mean Shomer, the Rasos Yisrael. God literally protects the doors of Israel. What did we see about Tuba'av? We saw that Tuba'av, God showed a special protection for the Jewish people. The last 15,000 didn't die. The, um, those who were not buried at Betar, there was a special protection. The mezuzah symbolizes this special hashgacha pratis, this special 
divine providence that God has over the Jewish people as the Ramban writes at the end of Parshas Bo I urge you when you go to someone's home and they don't have a mezuzah well keep in mind what kind of a gift you can get them soon after buy them a mezuzah tell them how important the mezuzah is check your mezuzahs they ought to be checked twice in seven years and realize that as the Ramban writes they're just for a few dollars and don't skimp buy a mezuzah which is kosher, buy a mezuzah which looks like it came out of a Sefer Torah so clear because it is not only a biblical mitzvah but as we see from the Gemara in Avodah Zarah it is a indicative of Hashem's special protection for us, His love for us and we show our love for Him by not only getting a nice case but it's what's in the case which counts and this, please God, should be a protection for all of Tzai Yisrael L'Olmei Ad Shabbat Shalom to all
with um, the Maccabees and the Nachamu Medley. Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos, uh, Parshas V'Eschan, and it is Erev Shabbos Nachamu on this Tuba Av morning. Happy Tuba Av to everybody. Don't forget, we have amazing programming all weekend long, including uh, Sunday morning when Matis Weingast hosts the uh, JM Sunday program back in a regular format this coming Sunday between 7 and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the uh, stream at jmnam.org. And, of course, on the uh, NSN app. So make sure to be tuned in as uh, Matis uh, presents uh, JM Sunday on Sunday morning. Saturday night, uh, Avrami hosts Saturday Night Siegel with great Jewish music. And Rabbi Zwickler uh, of West Orange, New Jersey. Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler in the Torah portion of the week. That happens tomorrow night after Shabbos until 10 p.m. Make sure to be tuned in for that. Uh, coming up at 9 o'clock this morning, Table for Two Encores with Naomi Nachman, the Aussie Gourmet host of uh, Table for Two, Yossi Horowitz of Yossi's Cork Board will discuss the uh, sous vide cooking technique. Naomi will also welcome Alex Remmer, executive chef from Fireside Restaurant in Muncie, New York, to the program. That's on uh, starting at 9 a.m. this morning, right after JM in the a.m. And, of course, the Arab Shabbos Music Mix with our wonderful friends at Kedem. That goes all through the day from 10 a.m. all the way until candlelighting time which for us here in this area is 728. Many synagogues begin earlier, but officially candlelighting is 728. So the Kedem presentation of the Erev Shabbos music mix, that is going to go quite a long time, many, many hours. Make sure you tune in. If you're on the road, use the NSN app. If you are uh, in your office, uh, tune in by computer or use the NSN app. And make sure to tune in. It's going to be a great Erev Shabbos music mix that is guaranteed. Eighth day is next. You're listening to JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. That's uh, eighth day, of course. It's Shabbos now at J.M. in the A.M. Mazel Tov going out to uh, Yitz Dickman and the entire Dickman family. Longtime J.M. the A.M. listeners living in Ramat Beit Shemesh. Yitz's Bar Mitzvah is happening this Shabbos. And we say Mazal Tov from all of us here at J.M. in the A.M. And a special Mazal Tov to those who are spending their first Shabbat as uh, citizens and residents of the State of Israel, those who just went with the Nefesh Benefesh flight this week. And uh, I want to thank Mishbacha Magazine for inviting me to write about the summer and uh, giving me the opportunity to speak more about the Nefesh Benefesh journey. Um, you can read about it in this week's Mishbacha Magazine, and again, I thank them. Speaking of journey, here's Journeys at JM in the AM. Time to say good Shabbos. On this era of Shabbos Nachamu at JM and The sun is going down, it's shining through the trees. Another week's gone by, become a memory. So throw away your hammer, there's nothing left to do. Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day together with the Holy One Say a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine Man and his creator, it's a very special sign 
Achenu Yisrael and Achim Achem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Broadcasting live in the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org and on the NSN app. Coming up next, Naomi Nachman with Table for Two at jmnam.org and on the NSN app. Um, full day of the Kedem presentation of the Erev Shabbos music mix. Make sure you have it on all through the day, no matter where you are, on this Erev Shabbos Nachamu Tuba'av. And uh, then, as we said, tomorrow night, great programming continues. And Sunday as well, starting things off with JM Sunday with Matis at 7 a.m. Eastern Time Live on Sunday morning. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend. Enjoy Tubab and Shabbos Nachamut. Till Monday, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.